0: We at Sport Calgary like to stay active in person and online. Be sure to follow us at Sport Calgary on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
1: On all Calgary Flames games days, home and away, you can participate in the Calgary Flames Foundation 50-50 draws online. Go to www.calgaryflames.com to purchase your raffle tickets and watch the jackpot grow every Flames game day. Tickets are available from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Funds are directed to Southern Alberta charities, including the Calgary Flames Sports Bank and Flames Even Strength Program. Let's get into the game and support the Calgary Flames Foundation. chance to win big. And the winner could be you. Must be over 18 and in Alberta to purchase. License number
0: 570062.
2: Kidsport Calgary presents the Face First Podcast with your
0: hosts, Alicia Rissling and Grace Defoe. And here they are sliding right on in, Grace and Alicia. All right, welcome back to the Face First Podcast. My name is Grace Defoe and I have my co-host here with me today. Hi,
1: everyone. I'm Alicia Riz Risling, and we are here today with a very special guest. Uh, we have Chelsea Carey joining us. Chelsea wa- competed in her first Grand Slam in 2010, and most recently she was skipping at the 2021 Scotties in the Bubble She uh, here in Calgary. She was the 2016 and 2019 Canadian and Alberta Champion Skip. And uh, her father was a former Breyer champion. Welcome to the podcast, Chelsea. Thank you so so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, we wanted to have you on because we just wanted to get a uh, insider view of what competing in a Canadian event is like this year. Um, Grace and I are both athletes we both had to travel out of the country and we know that curling has been pretty much the only thing that's managed to put on uh, back-to-back events and and hosted here in Calgary in a bubble and um, we just wanted to get your take on it but first of all I guess we could start though when was the first time you threw a curling rock?
2: Oh goodness in my life I,
0: yeah.
2: I, I uh, probably a what I don't know how old I was when I learned to walk, but sometime around that same time <laughs> I, with my dad and everything, right? I, I just, I grew up at the rink. It was just always part of the, part of the deal. So I remember putting one foot in each hack and just pushing as hard as I could, the rock way more than I did at that point. You know, it was just, uh, it was my whole life basically.
1: I love it. So I just grew up at the rink, always around it. Um, when did you, did you start playing competitively as soon as you were able to,
2: Throat, basically. Yeah, I started taking lessons when I was about five. Um, but I played lots of sports growing up. So I didn't, um, I didn't really start to focus on it until I was in probably more like my mid to late teens. Um, and then it, it became the only extracurricular I had once I went to university, because then I couldn't balance everything else with working and school and a bunch of sports. So I had to just curl at that point.
1: Got it. That's just, um, that's cool. So you went to school at U of M? I did. Yeah. 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 And then, so curling, I know is very different at different Canadian universities. Sometimes it's a club team. Sometimes it's just a club program. Um, what was it like there?
2: We didn't have it at the university at all, actually. So we were, I mean, if we wanted to put it together ourselves, we could have, but at the time they had no program. Um, they have a little bit of one now, I think, but they're not quite where some of like, so university of Alberta obviously is a leader. Um, in curling programs and um Laurier has a really good program and it's becoming more of a thing but at the time it, it was barely just starting where curling was even included in in like where they had a university national at all so um I'm old enough that I kind of missed that part
0: <laughs> I just had a question about how you think the other sports you did growing up contributed to your curling career because I know like people think curling so easy but it is actually quite you know it is quite, quite labor intensive especially the sweeping part I know I've tried it so do you think that all those other sports helped you as an athlete going into curling? 100%
2: I'm a big believer in multi-sport. I think that it's a big problem in the sports system right now is like really early specialization, especially for, you know, a sport like hockey, for example, where you play four season hockey from the time that you're five or six and you don't ever become an athlete. I think that we need to we need to have kids be athletes first and then pick a sport later. Uh, and that certainly was my parents' philosophy. They just put us in everything, and we we got to pick. Like, we had to do one summer, one winter, one fall, one spring activity at least, but we could pick which one. So we had to do – they started us in soccer. I liked soccer. And my sister hated it. So the next year she played t-ball. But, like, you had to pick a sport to play in each season, but different ones, um, which, yeah, for sure is is the reason that I – am where I'm at I, I curling is one that you could specialize in and and but I think that being a multi-sport athlete is helpful in more facets than just that but certainly I was a dancer I was a really competitive dancer for a long time and the balance and the what kind of pain, dance uh you name it jazz tap ballet contemporary oh, all music, of it all wow. of it yeah and the core strength and balance and athleticism of that and bo- just body control actually of that certainly helped me with any other sport I wanted to play so um I'm a big big believer in multi-sport for sure
1: Awesome. So Grace and I are both big believers in multi-sport as well. Grace actually studied it in university. So
2: uh, when I worked at um, University of Alberta for a year and that was a big part of my job there was writing a program for them where they were going to diversify their sports system the the lead into their U of A, their varsity sports. Um, yeah. And the multi, a multi-sport focus, like pick, pair an early specialization sport with a late specialization sport, blah, blah, blah. So I, I spent a lot of time on it too uh, from a professional
1: standpoint. Wow. Okay, so how did you transition into your connection to Alberta? You grew up, you're a Winnipeg girl, grew up there, Manitoba, and then all of a sudden now you're competing out of the Glencoe Club in Calgary. How did you transition to Alberta?
2: I moved to Edmonton originally, but I moved to Edmonton for a team, a new team. So after the quadrennial, we everything kind of works in four-year cycles now with curling, um, since it became a medal sport at the Olympics, so... I was with a different team, and then when we when the twenty thirteen twenty fourteen season ended and that Olympics was over, mm-hmm. those three girls weren't going to continue for another quadrennial, and they they had, they were having kids and getting married, and like their lives were just changing a bit. And I knew I wanted to play, and mm-hmm. so I looked around Manitoba, and there wasn't really anybody that was available that I wanted to play with. And so you've, you you moved to wherever your team is. So I moved to Edmonton first, and that team didn't work out. It, we spent I spent a year there with them, and then we split up. And then I moved down to Calgary for a different team, and I've been here ever since.
1: Wow! So toss about changing your challenging your dream by by trying to reorganize your whole life around it. Um I think that's one sport that's definitely very different than than Grace and I in the sliding sports is yes, we are also like we base our lives around the quadrennial as well, but for you guys it's all about making your own team. And then maybe talk a little bit about the steps of like how you would go about picking your team and do you pick your team? I know as a skip there's a lot of responsibility. Uh just talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, it depends on the on the team. Most of the time it's it's a it's a well, always it's a mutual decision. Like as the skip you can decide whoever you want to play with you, but unless they agree to it, then you're you're SOL. So <laughs> Of course. <laughs> uh, you just kind of make a list of who you want and you start calling them and and see who wants to play and whatever. It's a mix of I mean, it's a big part of it is uh schedule and commitments and things, like what the expectations are, how many weekends you're going to play because you're traveling. We're not traveling internationally that much, but we're traveling pretty well every week from from you know september till the till may so they have to be able to get the time off work with families and stuff and and be away for that amount of time and then um sponsorship money plays into it too i mean that's a just something that can sway people to join one team versus another is is what the financial situation
1: looks like as with any amateur sport <laughs> exactly <yeah. laughs> um so in in a, a non COVID year, what how how many tournaments would you guys play in? And you said you're traveling that often. Is it a competition every week, or are you mostly traveling just to get practice time in together? How does no, that work?
2: it's mostly for competing. So if for the practice time, we would we would do it at home unless you have a player that doesn't live in the same city, and then you you know be working on flying back and forth and things. But uh, we'd play anywhere from fifteen to twenty events a year, probably. And and it you try not to do every week if you can avoid it, but because most of the events are a whole week long, so you you get there on a Monday. You practice and play, start play on a Tuesday, and then you are done on Sunday, and then you go back. So we tried to to space it out so that it was every other week, but you always run into a, a stretch where you do two, th- two or three or four back to back.
1: And those are mostly in Canada. You said
2: most of them, yeah. There is a tour in Europe, but again, you're paying your own bills, so it's just hard for the Canadian teams. And w- like we have the best the best most depth of teams here so from a from a ranking point standpoint it makes more sense to stay in Canada because that's where the big point events are um, I've gone a couple times over to events in it, and it's growing big time in the rest of the world but it's just when you're paying your own way it's easier for us to go you know drive to Edmonton than it is to fly to Switzerland
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: for sure Easy.
0: <laughs> we would know a bit about that Riz <laughs> yeah Talking to a a
1: born and raised Edmonton girl who moved to Calgary to pursue sport as well. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) See, I
2: didn't have to deal with the Battle of Alberta stuff at least. So that was good.
0: (laughs) Totally. It's a constant uh, Battle of Alberta here with Riz and I. (laughs) I believe that.
1: (laughs) Always. Um, So this year was a little bit weird. So you guys only got to compete in how many tournaments?
2: Uh, it depends on the team. We I actually didn't play in any um, before the Scotties, but some teams got a couple in early, but they stopped running them basically in October. So you could a couple teams played one or two in September, um, mm-hmm. and maybe the first week of October, and then they pretty much shut everything down after that. So um, no one has played in more than maybe two or three max. Wow.
1: Yeah, a lot different than in a regular season. So yeah. how did that affect your performance when you got to the Scotties?
2: Uh, It actually was, I found it to be more a mental challenge than a physical challenge. Like I've been around the game long enough. My body knows what to do, you know, like it's, that's not uh, so much the issue, but the issue is that you convince yourself in your head that because I'm somebody that likes to practice every day. And so I just usually put in and and to play a lot, like not everybody responds well to that. It's just always been how I like to do things. So I found it tough mentally going in, going like, what's going to happen? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I just, I didn't know what to expect. I felt unprepared even though I know my body's going to figure it out because of the amount of time I've been doing this for, but it was, I I found it mentally scary. Um, And it ended up being fine. We, we played quite well, actually at the Scotties, which was great. And I felt better than I thought I would having not played in a year, but um, I was nervous uh, on the mental side going in just because I was like, Oh my God, what, what's going to
1: happen? What? Like I lost a bunch of sleep over it for sure. (laughs) I bet. Yeah, super stressful going into anything when you don't feel like you've had the adequate practice time. We're and um, I mean, a lot of things in Calgary have been shut down forever. So, were the curling rings in Calgary? Did they any of them operate at all this year?
2: Yeah, they opened for a bit. Um, the Glenco is still open, so I'm lucky to be able to still practice. It was shut down for uh, almost two months in there, a month and a half um, yeah. before Christmas, but. It has been open, most of them, when the second lockdown happened, the ones that had opened at the start of the season and were able to put some leagues together, most of them shut down then because just to keep the ice in is Mm -hmm. expensive. It's, you know, from a labour standpoint, you have to have somebody there maintaining it and stuff, so now you have to keep paying people when you're not getting any league dues and any revenue from the the restaurant and the bar and all that. So most of them shut down, um, other than the Glencoe, I think all of them shut down uh, when they announced the second
1: set of lockdowns. Shoot, that makes things super difficult. Um, so talk a little bit about the Scotties. Like, how was it set up? You had teams coming in from across the country. Uh, how did you earn your birth into it? And then what happened when you checked in?
2: I was actually filling in for a team. So I wasn't going to play women's this year. I was just going to play mixed doubles. But um, the team that I played with in the Scotties their Skip, um, her daughter, It has been diagnosed with a rare um, form of epilepsy, infantile seizures. So she was just, and once you leave the bubble, there's, or once you enter the bubble, there's, there's really strict rules about leaving it. So it was just, didn't make sense for her to go because she was, you know, her daughter's only seven months old and they weren't sure yet what was causing it or what was going on. So she couldn't play. So they asked me to come and play with her. Um, but it, this format of it was similar to most. It, they added two extra teams because no one could play their provincial championship, which is how you would normally get there. Um, they added two extra. They called them wild card teams. So they're it's just a points based ranking for people who didn't win their province but are ranked top whatever ten in Canada, kind of thing, to get an invite. So there was three wild card teams this year instead of just one um, to try to combat that. So it meant the field went from sixteen to eighteen teams. Which changed a little bit of how it was set up because of the extra round robin game. So we normally would have a page playoff with four teams. This this year it was only three teams and a bye direct to the final. So the format was a little bit weird, but for the most part it felt like a pretty normal Scotties. Um, I mean, more normal than most things in life feel these days. So That's kind of all you know. got.
1: <laughs> plus, all the cardboard cutouts were there cheering you on hard. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah,
2: the <cardboard laughs> yeah, were, yeah. Like fans in the stands were like loud and vocal. Uh, it was great. <laughs>
1: So where where were teams like you, you being a Calgarian, I'm assuming you weren't allowed to go home then at night. You had to go stay in a hotel room. You they were you guys were all put up to. Yeah,
2: we were in we were in a full bubble. So they took they took the NHL's bubble proposal for the playoffs and copied it basically. So we did we essentially followed all the same rules that the NHL did. So the only places we were allowed to go were the arena and the hotel. We had to yeah. use food delivery services, room service, whatever. Like, we couldn't walk, go for a walk. We couldn't go to the Starbucks that I could see from my room and get a coffee. Like, you had to order everything and stuff. So, yeah, no, there was not only no going home, there was no going anywhere except for back and forth to the arena. And we had to scan out of the hotel and scan into the arena. And you had a seven-minute window before they started calling you and saying, where did you go? Oh, no way. yeah it was intense but it was like I said it it, they based it they took they took the whole proposal from the NHL bubble and copied it because it worked um Mm -hmm. and AHS approved that so that AHS would approve this too in theory and I mean it did work so that's the good news but yeah it was really really strict which I mean it had to be
0: I think that um I passed it by actually the bubble we went and got our COVID test there a few weeks ago and I thought it was so cool that I was like that it's happening in in Calgary um I'm just wondering a bit about the logistics just for our listeners like how when people arrive say from out of the city or out of the province what kind of procedures did they have to do to enter the bubble
2: so you had to have a we they call it day minus three tests so 72 hours before you had to have a negative test result and have a copy of that to send to curling canada and then they had a bunch of like for the last three days of our time at home we had to be in a complete lockdown like no leaving the house no interacting with your family no nothing and then, you know, I wasn't flying in, but for the people that were flying, obviously there was pretty strict rules at the airport. Everybody had like a, a mask, but also like a face shield and all this other stuff. And then when you got to, when you landed, you had to go straight from there to your day zero test um, at Windsport and then go to the hotel room and quarantine for two full days until you got those test results back. So they actually had to push our practices back because we were supposed to have our results by the morning of the Thursday and we didn't. Um, so we showed up for practice and, and, uh, the guy from Curling Canada looked at us and he said, do you guys have your test results? We're like, we don't know they're being sent to you. And he was like, no, we don't have them turn around. We'll let you know when you can come back. So they had to bump everybody's practices back. There was people that didn't start practicing until 10 PM that day because it just, it was just what we were, what we had to do with waiting for the test. So then you have two days of quarantine in the hotel. You get another test on day three. Um, and once that result came back, you were allowed to at least, like function you could go and play games and and do whatever but we still weren't allowed to congregate even with our own teammates um other than a pre and a post-game meeting like we couldn't have meals together or anything
1: oh so interesting
2: I think they've relaxed that a little bit now, from my understanding, for the Briar, um, mm-hmm. where they were allowed to spend a bit more time hanging out with their teammates. But they, uh, yeah, they, they, and we didn't know that until we got, we were like, okay, so after this result, we get to, hey, we can actually have dinner and hang out. And then the day those results came back, they were like, nope, just kidding. Alberta Health stepped in and you can't do that anymore. <laughs> we are like, oh, okay. So it's, it was, it's like, it's, if you feel very isolated. I mean, you literally are. But you feel very isolated not being able to even just sit down for a meal,
1: like breakfast or anything with your teammates. No kidding. And, and that's really difficult being, especially you said you're you're with a team that you're not normally with. And, I, and I, I understand curling is, you know, it's one of the, it's very similar, I think, to how people would describe bobsled sometimes where it's like you're, a team full of individuals Mm -hmm. Um, you all kind of know, but how does that factor into a team that maybe you haven't played with before? And I know there's different strategies and stuff. Is it difficult when you haven't had the chance to practice together, to come together like that, or did that kind of play on your expectations and how you guys would do?
2: Yeah, it definitely is difficult. We spent a lot of time on Zoom um, leading up because we knew we wouldn't be able to practice together. So just a lot of discussions. They watched some game tape of my games. I watched some of their games and we had conversations about strategy and communication and roles and responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. Because it is a sport where, you know, that matters. It's it's not about every just about every person playing well. It's about the, fun- the team functioning as a unit. Um So I think it was okay, but it would have been nice to be able to sit around and play cards at the end of the night or something and just chat to to kind of develop that relationship a little bit faster. Luckily for us, it's a team, I know them all quite well. I knew them all quite well before. I've never played with them uh, or not recently, but um, we play against each other. Like you you see all, I'm sure it's the same, was the same for you guys in in sport. Like you see all the same people all the time. So we're all Mm -hmm. traveling together and, you know, we're all in in all the same cities and we're all bored and hanging out together pre-COVID. So we got to know each other pretty well. We were on the same team for an event called the Continental Cup. It's like a Ryder Cup kind of a thing Um, last year as well. So we hung out a fair bit there. So it wasn't too bad, but yeah, it would have been nice to have a little bit more time to just sit around and and develop that kind of connection in between games and in the evenings and stuff. But we, we, we were pretty prepared for that. So it was okay.
0: Um, Talking about the bubble. Let's chat about what, how you pass the time outside of the sport stuff. Like when you needed to really just decompress away from the sport, what was your go-to activity?
2: Um, I am a bit of an eat, sleep, curl person anyway. I'm not big into like it depends on, you know, if you don't like to nap between games and stuff, then I've had teammates where they they want to go shopping and they want to go for coffee and go sightseeing and stuff. I've never been that person. So it wasn't that bad for me um and as far as I struggle with time away from it because it's all on tv so mostly what I did was watch curling eat sleep and actually go curl um (laughs) but I brought some books and I had some I brought a little bit of equipment and I had a couple sessions with my trainer a little in room mostly just to stay kind of loose and and stuff and I had a couple of FaceTime and zoom calls with friends and family just to kind of chat about not curling about you know just take your mind off stuff and and that kind of thing so it wasn't too bad for me but I I spend most of it sleeping or curling so it's it would be way worse if you weren't a napper I'm not a napper in life but I am at curling it's my favorite
1: (laughs) I love it when you when you talk about your trainer so is this a strength and conditioning trainer is it a skill set or like a skills trainer what's the relationship there
2: no, it's, uh, the one I was referring to is my strength and conditioning trainer who actually works for CSI. So, um, because I was limited with what I could do and that they had, you could access the gym, but there was like appointments and it just was a bit of a pain. So I just brought some resistance bands and stuff and he put together sort of a little, um, jailhouse workout for me while I was in there. And, and, uh, a couple of my, they, we have a little group of us, six of us that train all, all different from different sports, but, um, some of them were in quarantine as well for different reasons. And so we had like zoom workouts where we were all there, but we weren't physically there. We were all at home doing our workouts together, but it was kind of nice just to feel that sort of sense of normalcy. Like that's what we would normally do on Monday at whatever time. So anytime I could join those, I did.
1: That's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm curious just from a, a, again, from a strength and conditioning side, uh, what would your, your off season training look like versus your in season training? Uh like certain are there certain strengths that you're trying to develop is it your proprioception what what do you really focus on
2: um for me i've got it i've got knee issues so my mind's almost entirely focused on trying to keep my knee like maintain some semblance of functionality in my knee Mm -hmm. so in the the off season that's a lot of strengthening in in this during the season it's mostly maintenance um Mm -hmm. because i can't really build it then at that point so um yeah it, it, it depends what what position you're playing obviously for front end players you'd be looking at some footwork balance um you know grip strength stuff for me skipping it's less about that and more about a functionality of the of your body but some explosiveness um like some power stuff for for throwing big weight kicking out of the hack really hard and then Mm -hmm. lots of just balance because it's such a one-sided sport it's you're super lopsided so it's a lot of basically rehab type workouts to try to get your right side and your left side even because they're never they're never close
1: (laughs) yeah no kidding uh that's so cool i've never really like thought about the training that goes on behind curling i just figured (laughs) you guys just threw rocks and had to hit the button so many times. <laughs> I knew it was more than that, but it's cool. Um, so what's going on now in the bubble? I believe it's mixed doubles going on right now. And you are you back in the bubble or are you at home right now?
2: I'm at home right now. So you have to leave. Um, unless you're playing back-to-back events in the bubble, you can't stay. Okay. So the day that you're the day after you're out, um, they'll they'll pay for flight changes or whatever. You have to leave um, immediately, basically. So I'm home right now. I go back in on April 11th, and then there's two back-to-back events. So we'll stay in there for a little over two weeks.
1: And and what events are those? Uh,
2: they're called Grand Slam of Curling events. So the first one is the uh, Champions Cup, and the second one is the Players Championship.
1: And I believe I heard those ones are international this time.
2: Correct. Yeah. So the men's worlds is next week. So some of the international men's teams will be in town already. Um, the women's teams all have to come and there's different rules for international teams arriving. They have to get there a bit earlier and um, be in quarantine for longer once they arrive at the bubble and things. But uh, yeah, the, the Grand Slams are they're probably about half and half Canadian
1: versus international. Wow. And do you know, so did they get an exemption from the Canadian government or did they have to do a two week quarantine if they're coming in from international?
2: I don't think they have to do a two week quarantine. I'm quite sure they don't have to Um, because they're like, I saw a post today that one of the men's teams is just leaving tomorrow or the next day and world start next week. So they can't be doing a full two
1: week quarantine. They must have gotten an exemption of some sort. Interesting. I've been wondering about that. It's been my biggest thing uh, going through and competing in Europe in particular and we were exempt from every single quarantine but we weren't exempt when we came home home, yeah yeah. so how many COVID tests have you had right now as of now
2: oh my gosh well I have had a bunch because when I travel even when I traveled home to Manitoba to see my family at Christmas I got one first just because we were a hotbed here at the time and you know family members that are susceptible I I bet I've had at least 10
1: okay (laughs) quite a few quite a few and then when you were in for scotties did you guys you said you had to get the the day zero one and then one before you went in but were you tested throughout the week as well
2: uh we were tested day zero like day minus three day zero and then two more once we got in and then they they left it open had they had any positive tests we would have continued to get tested but they had no positive results so then that was it
1: yeah that's awesome just goes to show that these bubbles actually do work 100% well
2: like I know TSN gets tested every other day like they're in their own bubble separate from ours and they do get tested every second day
1: oh wow I just couldn't handle that (laughs) well
2: and they're not all we only had one nasal swab this time so of those five tests I only had one that was the nasal test which is by far the worst one of the two
1: (laughs) yeah you got lucky (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah I guess the next question I had for you was what's what's your favorite in a non-covid year what's your favorite tournament to play in
2: um the players championship is one of them for sure it's usually held in toronto right downtown it's at the old maple leaf gardens which is cool enough for me in and of itself i'm a huge hockey fan so just walking into that building is cool and we stay right there and there's a bunch of restaurants and stuff it's just great but the scotties is the scotties i mean it's what i grew up dreaming about playing in and and winning and that's because curling wasn't a medal sport at the olympics yet um but for me that's Mm -hmm. another thing i grew up watching so there's something there's always something magical about the scotties for sure
1: and speaking of the Olympics, um, so are you guys making plans already for, d- how does qualification work for that?
2: Yeah, so they there's a trials event. So it's only one team from each discipline. So a four-person men's team, women's team, and then one mixed doubles team. And those mm-hmm. each have their own mm-hmm. Olympic trials event. Um, mm-hmm. So there, it's a little bit unclear because COVID had to change, you know, they had to change a bunch of stuff about how they were qualifying. So I'm not sure exactly how it's working, but they mm-hmm. are next, the, the four-person trials are at the end of november and the doubles trials are at the end of december early january
1: All Right, and are you going to be competing in both uh
2: i will be it's just in some capacity i'm not sure exactly what one well, i don't we don't know about doubles yet because we didn't make it into this event um okay and we're we're waiting for some clarification from curling canada on exactly how those qualifications are going to work but hopefully both yeah
0: yeah let's uh Let's switch over a bit to talking about kids sport. I want to know kind of how you got involved with kids sport and why it's so near and dear to your heart. This is a kids sport podcast after all.
2: <laughs> well, I, uh, I don't know that I set out necessarily to get involved in kids sport in particular, but um, when I first moved to Calgary, I was part of a charity curling calendar. And I wanted to give some of the money that we raised, like everybody got to donate their share of what they raised to whatever charity they wanted. And so some of it went to one back in Winnipeg, back home, but um, I wanted to do half of it locally. And I figured I wanted some kind of a sport organization. And um, it just became apparent to me as I did a little bit of research that I, I can't even imagine I was so lucky as a kid that I never had to worry about you know my parents couldn't afford it so i didn't get to play like my parents just would find a way to make sure it happened no matter what and i just took it for granted i never even knew that you know it just never really even occurred to me that that would be the case for some people and then as i got older of course i had friends who couldn't and things and i just think that that's so horrible like sport has done so much for me in every facet of my life that um it just seems unimaginable to me that that finances could be that big a barrier and i i I think it's just wrong. And and I wanted to, you know, to do whatever I could to help with that. And um, it turns out that I ended up with through, so the, the, one of the national coaches for curling Canada also manages the Glen coast curling program and is Kevin Webster's brother, Paul. So (laughs) I had a natural in with, with kids sport from through that, but it was more, it was just when I, like I said, I did a bit of research on a local sport organization and that one just stuck out to me so much because I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I didn't have sport. And I I wish that nobody had to imagine
1: that. That's pretty much the go-to rule for I think or reason why all of us get involved is just such a great great charity that, you know, all of us love sport so much. So it's just so important to get back. So glad to have you all working together with the yeah. uh, Kids Sport. Um I guess my 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 last question that I have for you is is how do you manage uh, what, what's your working situation right now and how do you manage being basically a full-time athlete with, you know, real life?
2: That's a great question. I don't, um, <laughs> I haven't actually been able to work in, in a few years just cause it's hard to find something that fits. And, uh, that's a limited time situation cause I've been, you know, burning through some savings in order to be able to do it. I mean, being hard, it helps, but it's certainly not enough to cover all of my living expenses. So I've been lucky to have some good jobs in the past and, and have some money that I, that was, sit, you know, sitting in my savings account that I've been able to use to to live off of for a few years, but it's going to have to change at some point. But yeah, it's hard. I mean, they, just to be away, you know, try applying for a full-time job and then saying, oh, and by the way, I need 10 weeks of holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't usually go over very well. So yeah, no, I don't. Um, I, honestly, that most of the top players don't or they work part-time or or, or own a business or something where, you know, they, they don't have to be present there. It's hard to have mm-hmm. a, a real job, quote unquote.
1: Yeah. And I think that's pretty uh that's a very common occurrence with a lot of Canadian athletes or in this boat where you're you're trying to be the best that you can at, at the top of your game at the sport and, and again, there's just so many reasons why you can't, like and and mostly because of travel. So yeah. I hear y'all on that one. It makes it very difficult. And even if you do get that, you know, part time work in the summer, it doesn't quite you burn through that pretty quickly. So <laughs> yeah. I wish you all the best with that. Um, I do know that uh, hopefully there's some money on the line. There's a purse for the world championships, is there not?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not going to the world championships, but there's a purse for all of these events. We'll have some level of purse. The grand yeah. slams are, uh, the total purse I think is a hundred thousand for each of those. It's like 30 grand to the winner. So yeah, I mean, you could win at least some of it back, which would be
1: nice. <laughs> yeah, would be. And then you still got to divide it between your team and yeah, your physios and all of that. So people,
2: yeah, but it, it's yeah, still, it doesn't I mean, really
1: work out to anything. By the end of no, that. but it's better than $0. So I'll for take sure, it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Grace, you have anything else?
0: No, just thank you so much for joining us. I know I've learned a lot about a lot about curling and I we were eager to learn about the bubble. We really we spent about about 3 weeks ago we we're like we want to know more about the bubble. So, <laughs> it has been very insightful.
2: No, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. You guys are doing a really good job. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your story. And uh, we wish you all the best uh, with what's left of the season and figuring out what's going to happen next year because I know the stress is on. The stress
2: <laughs> is on, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thank you very much. No, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you guys later. Awesome. Thanks, Chelsea.
0: <laughs> Not sure what sports are provided in Calgary? Sport Calgary Sport Directory will help you find the sport and
2: organization that's right for you. Visit sportcalgary.ca to learn more.
0: Canadian Pacific was founded in 1881 and was formed to physically unite Canada and Canadians from coast to coast. Today, CP is a transcontinental railway in North America, providing rail services to key markets in every corner of the globe. Giving back to the communities they operate through is important for CP. Since 2014, their focus has been on cardiac health. Through their CP Has Heart program, CP has helped raise over $23.3 million for cardiac causes across North America. Physical activity is very important to heart health. CP is proud to sponsor Goals for Kids with the Calgary Flames, a program which benefits minor hockey, Calgary, and kids sport. For each home goal by the Flames, CP donates $500. Since 2007, CP has donated over $215,000 to kids sport. CP would like to remind everyone listening that February is heart month and encourage everyone to stay active, eat healthy, and have fun.